so surprised. Well, hold on, wait, we we're going to. Hey, everyone in the back. I know there. I'm sorry there aren't any more seats, but um, you know, you'll just stand in the back there. No, just kidding. We were joking because we thought, you know, people who are listening to this online, um, we would just play a prank on them and tell them that, you know, make it sound like they're standing room only. But if you're listening to this online, that, that probably was a joke that fell pretty flat. <laughs> but uh, we're doing a series called uh, One Book, One Hour, One Book. And we're basically, over the next four weeks, going to teach an entire book um, in one sitting. Uh, and next week, Jeffrey Jones over here, he will be teaching on the book of Haggai, which I know is one that everyone is probably, you know, one of their favorites, uh, one that's on the tip of your tongue and the forefront of your mind at all times. Um, but yeah, we're going to go through short books. And uh, the um, point um, the point of this is I'm a, I'm a big, uh, well, first off, I'm a big believer in just us reading the Bible. And I think a lot of times um, people are intimidated um, by just opening up the Bible. And I think what you'll find is there are um, so many books of the Bible that you can sit down and in 30 minutes you can read from cover to cover and get a ton out of it. And I'd say, you know, why is it that, uh, you know, why is it that reading the Bible is so important? Well, how do we know anything about God? You know, we know a little bit about God through the created order, um, but really everything we know about God is through Scripture. And, uh, And another thing, too, is, you know, a lot of times we think of the Bible as a book, and, you know, when we read the Bible, it is meant to be seen as relational interaction with God. We believe that God's Word is living and active. Uh, that's what the Bible says about itself. Uh, we believe that when we read the Scriptures um, and we ask for God's blessing, that the Holy Spirit is there. God Himself is present. And, uh, and so we believe that God is, you know, God is with us at all times. But we believe in terms of our experience of His presence that it is more real, uh, it is kind of, more uh, palpable when we open up scripture. And so a part of what we're going to be doing here is if you were to come to this class for four straight Sundays, you would get four full books under your belt in, uh, in four weeks. And, um, and so that's, hey, that feels good, right? You can, you can be like, hey, hey, I've read four whole books of the Bible, right? Um, and so anyhow, it's to encourage you to read the Bible on your own. But um, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to do 2 Timothy today. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness, your loving kindness. Thank you that you're not a God who is far away and who is um, uh, just an untapped mystery, but you're a God who has made yourself clear, who has made yourself known to us um, in the person of Jesus Christ and in the word that you have spoken to us. And pray, Lord Christ, that uh, this would not be, uh, we would not go through the motions here and, and this would not be an academic exercise, but we pray that our hearts would be comforted and that uh, the person of Jesus Christ would be seen, and that as a product of this, we would um, love and worship, glorify, and enjoy um, you, Lord God, more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So the way it's going to go is I'm going to tell you a little bit about 2 Timothy. Uh, Lauren, to my left, who a friend of mine described as my trophy wife, um, is, uh, is going to be the reader, and she's actually going to read through it, and I'll kind of stop her at points and kind of explain what's going on. But this book is um, 2 Timothy, and this is a, a, a gem. This is a gem of a book. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what, anybody here ever ever studied 2 Timothy? Hands, got one, got two, great, three, four. 2 Timothy is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote. He writes this, he knows he's going to die. Um, he knows that he has been sentenced to death. He knows that his death is imminent. 
And so this is, in, in a sense, it is like Paul's deathbed letter. And you, know, you have a few that you'd call this like a farewell discourse. And so, um, you know, you think about like in, in John, uh, the, the Gospel of John, like John 14 through 18, Jesus knows he's going to die. And those books are, re- those chapters are really precious because Jesus is kind of giving, you know, his last words to his disciples on his way out the door. Um, same in Deuteronomy, we have a similar thing going on with Moses. He knows this is it. And so think about the amount of clarity that a person has on their deathbed, the amount of clarity they have on life, you know, this sense of uh, what's really important and what's not important. You know, everything, um, you know, everything kind of comes into perspective when a person is about to die. And we have that perspective here from Paul. He says in, uh, in Timothy uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6-3, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. So he says, I know I'm going to die. Like, this is it. And I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. And so, um, and so part of why I think this is such an incredible text is it's the Apostle Paul, you know, Perhaps, I mean, all the voices in the, in the Bible are, are equally valuable, but, you know, in terms of Christian theology as a whole, you know, Paul is one of the, the most profound voices in all of Western civilization. Let's just say it like that. And here we have, a, you know, a death letter. Secondly, he is writing to someone who is his protege. He's writing to Timothy. And, you know, he says in, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 2, he describes him as my beloved child. And so Timothy was probably the person that Paul was the closest to in the world. Timothy um, was a young man as a teenager when Paul started working with him. He traveled with Paul. He was with Paul at Corinth. Paul has a tremendous amount of confidence in Timothy, such that he leaves Paul in Ephesus to handle that church. He leaves Timothy in Thessalonica with that church. And he, he probably has more confidence in Timothy than anyone in the world. So Timothy is almost like a son, probably as close to a, a child as Paul has. And so we have a deathbed letter to someone who, in effect, is like a child to Paul. So this is a very, very intimate text. And so it's just a very cool insight into Paul's perspective on what is really important in life. Third thing we need to understand before we start reading is that as Paul writes this, he has been sold out left and right. He has had, he lists probably, you know, five people in this book, I think six people in this book, who have sold him out, who have abandoned him, have turned their back on him, who have betrayed him. And, you know, you, you get a sense in some ways that for Paul, as he's looking at his ministry, he's, he's dying with a, potentially a sense of disappointment. Um, because they're, like he, he, when he was being tried in Rome, and you know he's going to be sentenced to death, he said that no one showed up at his trial to defend him. He says that here in 2 Timothy. No one showed up. Can you imagine? You know, you've given your life for the cause. You've given your life for the gospel. You know, and for Paul, that really meant he's invested in people, and there are people who have just abandoned him and given up left and right. And so... Um, so a lot of what Paul is concerned about is, it's probably on Paul's mind, I want to make sure that Timothy stays faithful. I want to make sure that Timothy perseveres till the end, and I want Timothy to know that it's worth it. It's worth it to endure the suffering. It's worth it, worth it 
to remain faithful to Christ no matter what the consequence, even if it means dying, which Paul is, Paul is, you know, about to, is about to happen to him. So the, the big themes we're going to look for as we go through 2 Timothy are, first we're going to look at Paul's heavenly mindedness. Heaven is all, you know, all in uh, the consciousness of Paul in this book. Um, you know, he- heaven is all in the consciousness of Paul in all of his books because Paul believed that Jesus is coming, like the Christ event of Jesus living and dying and rising from the dead, that that was the last thing before the second coming of Christ. There was an inherently what you'd call an eschatological event or an end times event. So with that being said, you know, we're, you know, the last days, which he talks about the last days, Paul will always talk about being the last days, but because he's about to die, it's particularly relevant to him. Um, secondly, you see, Paul goes back to the basics of the faith with Timothy. You know, he's like, hey, Timothy, remember the scriptures that you were taught by your grandmother and your mom. You know, remember the things that I taught you. Remember the gospel. Remember union with Christ, that you, you know, this intimate relationship you've been given with Jesus. And then the last thing we're going to see is Paul has very little tolerance for trivial matters. He's going to, he's going to say repeatedly, Timothy, don't get, don't get caught up in, in trivial things. Don't, don't, don't major in the minors. You know, focus on the big things. You're going to see these big themes rolling through it. So Lauren is going to be the reader, and I'll um, kind of... Oh, sorry, we have a bunch of Bibles. We have Bibles over here. I think, yeah, um, if uh, a couple of folks want to pass those out, that would be great. Sorry. Details, 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 right? <laughs> Second Timothy, if, um, if uh, you're not terribly familiar with it, is towards the back of the Bible. It's probably going to be about 90% of the way toward the back. It's in the New Testament. So it's, um, it's after Jesus has come. And um, it is, let's see, it's after 1 Timothy <laughs> as a point of reference. It's after Titus. Is it before? It's before Titus, actually. Start from the beginning. I'll just kind of do that, but you're gonna um, you're gonna get they're gonna go through uh, verse seven. I should probably get close to you since you are my trophy wife. Um, get close to you so I can. You know. All right. Second Timothy. That's correct. Second Timothy, starting chapter one, verse one. Uh, and it's page. Um, man, you got a page number? Eight fifty-four in this one. Eight fifty-four in this guy, and what is it in that one, Jeff? One thousand thirty-one. Got it. There you go. All right, let's roll. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Okay, and so first off, notice the intimacy. Of, of the letter, how he says, you know, Timothy, my beloved child. And then he talks about, uh, you know, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and how he knows these people. He knows the family. Also, you know, uh, parents, you can see that Paul is pointing to how, and he'll say this more later, 
how his grandmother and his mom uh, were instrumental in Timothy's faith. They discipled Timothy. You'll see that they taught him the scriptures. They told him they um, told him about the gospel. So you see here this um, you know this this great foundation that Timothy has that started in the home with his parents, who were you know his uh, you know his 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 pastors in the home. Um, and then last thing, notice he says that I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. Um, Paul feels like he knows he's about to see Jesus face to face, and he feels good about how he's lived his life. He, feel, he has a clear conscience, and you'll see that kind of repeated um, throughout this book as well. Keep on going. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Sorry, in, um, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. All right, so you can kind of see Paul's purpose right off the bat here. He's saying to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Okay, and that Paul, you can see he kind of divides, the, there are two categories of people in this book. There are those who are ashamed of the gospel, which that's kind of his way of saying people who have quit on the cause, people who have sold out. Uh, and there are people who are not ashamed. And so he says, uh, when he says, do not be ashamed, he's saying, don't back down, Timothy. Like, remain faithful, remain faithful to your ministry. And, um, and then, you know, what does he immediately go into? What is, right after he says that, what does he remind Timothy of? He reminds him of the gospel. He's like, and it's, you know, basically, and this, you know, for us, as we think about, you know, persevering, as we think about resistance you may see for being, for being a Christian, um, uh, you know, ways it may cost you socially or cost you professionally or just cost you in terms of, you know, reputation of being cool or not being cool. Um, uh, you know, basically he says, let's not forget uh, this person, Jesus. Who has who came to earth? God came to earth. He suffered for you. He died for you. He experienced the eternal judgment of hell for you. And you know, and that right there, that instills a loyalty. You know, that instills loyalty. We remember exactly what Jesus has done for us. I kind of say, um, and this is going to sound a little bit extreme here. Not that I have an extreme personality, but um, but you know, and if if you basically if we're not to a point where we're ready to die for Jesus, we, we haven't fully understood exactly what he's done for us. Um, and that's not to make anyone feel judged if you're not ready to, you know, go be a martyr right now. But I'm just saying the more you see the magnitude of what Jesus has done for you uh, and just what he's rescued you from and what he's given to you, the, you know, the, the promise of heaven, the adoption as a son, the, the, the constant promise that he dwells in you in your soul through the Holy Spirit, 
when you just internalize how precious it is, what Jesus has, what, how much it cost him and God the Father, and how generous he's been, it just, the more and more you internalize and appreciate that, the more and more you are willing to give up anything, including your life, um, for the sake of the gospel and for this person, Jesus. So that, that's right at the beginning. Paul is reminding Timothy of what Jesus has done as the bedrock of his perseverance. All right, keep on going. He's now going to start to talk about some of the people who have sold, who have sold out. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Fidelis and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Sorry, that was, I, I've kind of messed it, messed up there. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're aware of the two guys who turned away from me. And then he goes back to someone who remained faithful. And notice, what is, um, what does he say in verse 18? He says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. So talking about the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. So you're going to see over and over again, Paul continues to kind of defer consequences to the day of the Lord. Uh, you know, so there's a person, uh, the coppersmith Alexander, and he says, you know, may the Lord deal with him. He, he's, Alexander abandoned the cause. He says, may the Lord deal with him on the last day. And then he says, you know, ask for myself, ask for my, you know, you know, what, what, is, what did I gain from all this? Well, I'll, I'll get it on the last day. So he's very much has this deferred gratification. He's looking to Christ's second coming um, in terms of God sorting everything out in terms of, you know, faithfulness and so on and so forth. All right, let's keep on going. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. For the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the, of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, we will, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Okay, quick time out. Okay, so second thing, so he now comes to another principle uh, as a foundation of Timothy's perseverance. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Anytime you see in Paul's writings in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, or with Christ, with Christ Jesus, or in the Lord, like uh, Ephesians 6, 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He's talking about what you call union with Christ. And that is the reality that Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, dwells in your heart, and that you, in some mysterious way, dwell in his heart as well. And this is, you know, the probably the most prominent theme in all of Paul's writing. It's He references union with Christ over 160 times. Uh, in his letters. And so, you know, in terms of having strength to persevere, he's reminding him of this intimate relationship with Jesus. And he's saying, you know, your strength will come 
out of this intimate, the grace that comes through the intimate relationship you have with Jesus. So he's reminded him of the gospel. He's, he does it again here. And he also reminds him of union with Christ as, as foundations for his perseverance. Now, another thing, look at, you know, he has like three different kind of metaphors that he calls on here. He talks about sharing the sufferings as a good soldier. And then he talks about an athlete. And then he talks about a farmer. And, you know, he, he reminds, you know, if you think about all those things, like there's a reward for being a soldier. There's a reward for being a farmer. There's a reward for being an athlete. But there's also a cost, right? I mean, you know, uh, we have a, a young man over here who's a phenomenal swimmer. Uh, he's, you know, one of the top swimmers in the southeast. And Gaston practices hours and hours every week. He probably practices 14 to 16 hours a week in the pool. All right? So, Yes, Gaston is a great swimmer, but there's a cost, right? There's a, it's not fun to get up at 5 in the morning to go to swim practice, right? And so anything in life that is worth having, there's usually, usually a cost, right? I mean, to make good grades, there's a cost of studying, you know, to, to kind of do well in a job. There's a cost of working hard, you know, to, to be a, you know, a faithful husband, to be a faithful parent. You know, it's not easy. You know, it's, there, is, there is, you know, a work in it. And I'm not, I'm, don't, don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying that like our salvation is something that we earn, okay? That's, that's something that comes purely by the, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears of Jesus. Um, he earns that from us entirely. But I am saying like to be a Christian, there's, there's cost in that. You know, there's difficulty. And um, there's difficulty in any relationship uh, if you want to have you know, an intimate and fruitful relationship. And so uh, I think Paul is saying this just to remind Timothy, like, don't be discouraged if you're getting beat up in your ministry. Like, don't be discouraged if this is difficult and you face rejections and failures and disappointments. Like, that's just kind of the nature of life, right? And so I think that a lot of times, um, you know, we don't necessarily, as a church, uh, give people realistic expectations of the Christian life. Especially if you want to, you know, you want to really share the gospel, you want to really invest in people's lives, you want to really be the kind of person that helps people in suffering, like that stuff is messy, like it's hard, there's difficulty in it, it takes courage, you know, it, it takes some thick skin, it, you know, it takes some resilience, and um, all of those things, you know, coming through the grace of the Lord, coming out of our relationship with him, but, but I think part of what Paul is saying to Timothy is, Hey, don't don't you know, don't let disappointments and, and difficulties deter you from remaining faithful. You know, like it's it's not this is kind of how things work. This is to be expected. All right. Keep on going. And sorry. And then he reassures him. You see this this uh, sorry, the statement of grace. If we have died with him, he will we will also live with him. If we endure, he will reign with us. If we deny him, he also will deny us. We think that's probably a denial of like ultimate proportions, not like. We have, a, you know, not a, not a, a, the kind of faithful faithlessness that we all have day to day. And then, because he, he finishes, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So you see the gospel there of like in our failure, in our inadequacy, in our, you know, moments of cowardice, he's not, he's not going to deny us. Like he remains faithful to us. So let's keep on going. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the, the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but, avo- but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them, Hymenaeus and Philetus, 
who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. All right, quick time out. So you can see here when Paul says, you know, don't don't get caught up in quarrels and, um, you know, do your best to you know to avoid irreverent babble he's saying like don't get caught up in trivial things you know paul like we said has this ultimate perspective he's about to die he's about to see jesus face to face and and he is probably looking back at his own life and thinking like gosh that was such a waste of time like getting caught up in that argument getting caught up in you know that that catty rivalry like that was such a waste of time and he's like timothy don't don't get caught up in the weeds like just focus on the major things, right? Keep on going. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use, some are for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolishness, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the, na- the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Okay, so, so again, he, he, is, um, he is kind of saying don't get caught up in, in foolish things, don't get caught up in truly things. But he's also saying, you know, repent from sin. I, I, you, can, you can imagine um, that Paul on his deathbed can see just how, um, you know, how you know sin, sin is so enticing and so attractive, day to day, right? Um, but you know Paul here with this ultimate perspective is like, gosh, you know, why did I fall into those temptations? That was so stupid. Uh, what a, you know, how damaging was that? How what a waste of time that was. Um, and then you also notice, you know, he Paul, Paul dogs some people in this book, right? He's like, this people person has turned away from the truth, and this person is not is not faithful, and this person abandoned me, and so on and so forth. But look what he says. He says, you know. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So, you know, you would think that Paul, uh, Paul, who's had all these people betray him, you'd think that he'd be kind of bitter. You know, you think he'd be vindictive, and he knows that Timothy is going to face similar things um, because of the nature of life. And he's like, he's basically saying, Timothy, you know, be patient with your enemies, um, correct them gently, uh, and you know, God may perhaps grant them repentance. He's effectively saying, like, let God deal with those people. All right, what you what you can control is your own relationship with God, your need to repent from sin. Um, you can, can you are, were an enemy of God, therefore, and God was gentle and kind to you in rescuing you from your sins. And so you need to do the same thing for um, you need to do the same thing to your enemies. And and um, and so 
uh, he's really encouraging a, a gentleness and a char- charity towards towards uh, our enemies, um, and that's a you know that's a word we really need to hear, um, especially in the climate we if you know in the United States that we live in where it's just shame culture. You know, uh, uh, people scream at each other across social media, and um, you know the person who the person who seems to prevail in politics is the person who can be the nastiest. You know. And uh, and also too, just the name calling. You know, if if you don't if you don't agree with me, then you're a bigot and you're a, you know you're a this and you're a that. You know, just all this name calling and it's it's very um, it's very uh, tempting to be bitter and resentful. And Paul, who has far more reason to be bitter and resentful than we do, he's getting killed. <laughs> um, is saying be kind and patient with your enemy. Because you were an enemy of God and he was kind and patient to you. So remember that. All right, let's keep going. But understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of prep, pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. We don't really get the picture, Paul. Could you make it a little more clear? (laughs) Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as Yanes and Yambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding their f- the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Okay, and so, you know, again, Paul is, again, trying to set up realistic expectations for Timothy of what he's going to encounter out there. He's, you know, especially this being, you know, the last days since Jesus has come. And um, since Jesus has come, then these the time Paul is and the time we live in are inherently the last days. And, um, and he, you know, I, I don't think he's saying don't get entangled with sinners because, uh, it's pretty, pretty hard to find anyone who's not a sinner. <laughs> um, but he's, I think he's talking about people who, what you would call are sinister fools. That's, uh, people who are just kind of consumed with evil and who we just kind of maybe need to trust and trust to the Lord. And, um, this is something that takes wisdom, but, um, but he's, you know, just kind of saying there, there may be people you, um, you just need to kind of not, not deal with and trust and trust over to the Lord, and don't, don't be surprised when you see people who are living this way. Keep on going. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in, at Antioch at. Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord, re- all of the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, so a couple of things here, and this is rich, really rich stuff. Um, you know, Paul, a, pr a problem that Paul had, and a problem that the early Christian church had, was, you know, all of the all of the apostles pretty much were martyred, except for John. Um, and the, you know, in the Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, part of the issue that he's addressing is people are like, you know, Paul has suffered so much. Is he really faithful? Like, is he really a Christian? You know, is this really is he really doing what he's supposed to be doing? If he's getting thrown in prison and he's getting beaten up and he's, you know, nearly dying in a in a shipwrecked boat, you know, like. Maybe he's not. Maybe what he's doing is wrong, you know. And uh, you know, and we, we we see plenty of that today, and you know, with the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, and the you know theology of glory all over the place, where people have this idea that if you're a faithful Christian, then that means you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and everything you do, you'll be successful, right? And they think that you know that a comfortable life is the mark of a, a faithful Christianity, which is a you know a lie from the pit of hell. Um, Paul is Paul is saying anyone who wishes to live a godly life in union with Christ will be persecuted. Like, it's going to happen. You're going to be resisted. That's because when Satan sees that you are following Jesus, he feels threatened by you. And he does not want you to succeed. You know, he, he, he knows that you are a threat to his kingdom. And so, in some ways, if you're being resisted, and you're, you know, being faithful, you're being gentle, you're not being a jerk, um, then, uh, you know, be encouraged um, because you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And so that's part of what Paul is saying. Another thing is you have to keep in mind, Paul has been a critical mentor to Timothy, and Paul knows that he is not physically going to be present anymore. So what is it that Paul is pointing Timothy to at the end of this passage? It's a scripture. He says, all of scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good thing. He's like, look, Timothy, you have the Holy Spirit. You have God's word. You have everything you need. You have everything you need. And, um, you know, without me. And, the, the, you know, God's word and the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. And so um, that's very helpful for us, you know, because um, a lot of times we think, well, you know, we don't necessarily have Jesus here with us. You know, what are, what are we to do? And um, Jesus says that the presence of the Holy Spirit is actually better than, than his very presence. That the, the Holy Spirit, it's, it, to have the Holy Spirit as we have it is better than what the disciples had in the person of Jesus. He says that in John. And then we also have God's word. And so in terms of how we're to live, how we're you know, to face challenges and sufferings, um, how we're to minister for God and share the word, we have all that we need um, in the scriptures and in the Holy Spirit, and to as as like as a family of God, like as a team, as you know, as people in community. I don't want to get I don't want to give the false impression that you know, hey, I've got my Bible in Jesus, and I've got my Bible in the Holy Spirit, and now you know, now that's all I need. We need community too. We need Christian community as well. Um, but goodness gracious, do we have a, do we have a tool and a weapon and all the equipping we need in the Scripture and the Holy Spirit? All right, here we are, chapter four. We're almost done. I mean. Are we amazing Christians or what? We're it's the the Fourth of July and we're at church and we've almost read an entire book of the Bible. No, just kidding. I, you can see you can see this is really um, you can see this is really transforming me. No. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but of itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Okay, so... Um, so this is kind of his final word, you know, this is perhaps the, the last, um, the last things that he's going to say to Timothy. And, you know, he says, bottom line, I charge you. So this is a, you know, this is a, a, a big boy command here that he is giving to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead. Okay. And so he's reminding him of like, uh, of our accountability to Christ, um, and by his appearing in his kingdom. I mean, so he is really laying it on thick here. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming where people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so, you know, he's saying like, hey, look, you are you are accountable to God, like you will face God on this, Timothy, as a minister, um, that you are to teach the truth of the gospel and the truth of Scripture. And hey, by the way, there are people who are not going to like it. There are people who just want to be told what they want to hear, and what people generally want to hear, they don't want to hear that they're sinners, <laughs> and they want to hear that they're in control. They want to hear that you can do it, right? I mean, let's if you were. At home right now and watching television, that's generally what you're going to see on television is you can do anything you put your mind to. Oh, Jesus might help a little bit. It's all about you, 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 right? And life is going to be great and it's going to be magical. And oh, by the way, send me a check in the mail. Um, that's what people want to hear. And that is not true. And it's also not helpful because it's not, it's not grounded in reality. What is, you know, and so he is saying, look, there are people who aren't going to want to hear the gospel. Because the gospel is offensive. The gospel says that you're a, a sinner who is completely lost without the help of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And the gospel says there is one name in heaven on earth that by which we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. And that is that is not popular in the culture, right? That's bigoted. It's very bigoted. Um, and he's saying, but but look, he reminds them that I charge you in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead. He's saying that holds so in, like in our church, you know, a lot of times people are not really crazy about um, our clergy kind of like sticking to their guns on the mandates of Scripture. Like the reason is because they know that they're going to face Jesus and they're going to be accountable for this. They're going to be accountable for their faithfulness to God's word and to God's truth, and that's kind of a big deal. 
kind of a big deal, right? And so, you know, I think you see here, Paul says, for I am being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the rate. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to those who have, who have all those who have loved his appearing. I think that a lot of times when we hear things like this, and Paul kind of freaks us out because we're like, wait a minute, like, what about salvation by faith alone and grace alone, right? This does not cancel out salvation by faith alone and grace alone. Like, you are saved entirely by the grace of Jesus in terms of when you see Jesus face to face, being accepted for eternity, like, it is entirely by grace and nothing else, not your performance at all. And keep in mind, Paul has a very personal view of seeing Jesus face to face because it is a personal thing. He is going to enter into eternity and he is going to see this person that he loves so much that he knows has given him eternal life by his blood. And he's going to have a consciousness of the life that he has lived. And he's not worried that Jesus is going to say, you didn't do a good enough job, Paul, you're going to hell. That's not what he's worried about. He loves this man and he wants to... He wants to have said, look, Jesus, I was a good steward of the life you gave me. I was a good steward of the eternal life that you gave me, the gift of salvation that you gave me. And so that's that's the mindset here. It's not a fear that we can lose our salvation if we're not a good enough Christian. It's just a matter of we love Jesus and we want to be good stewards of the life that he's given us, right? And so, um, And so that is what is at Paul's heart. And Paul has a clear conscience. He's like, look, I... Feel like I, I feel like I've done my best. Certainly Paul has sinned and he's failed and he's had made mistakes. But as far as Paul enduring suffering, as far as, as far as Paul sticking to the gospel, as far as Paul, you know, really um, kind of like doing his best, he feels like he can go before Jesus with a clear conscience. Being like, look, Jesus, I did my best. I did my best. And that's kind of what's at his heart here. Um, we'll just read this last part and because we're running out of time. Um, but yeah, we finished this off. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with his in, with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Trous. Also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, and so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom to him be glory forever and ever amen all right so final things here first off look he says he it's not likely that timothy's going to make it to see him but just in case don't forget my parchments that's what he would write with i think it's funny like hey i left my coat um i left my coat over at this person's house could you grab that for me but when he says above all the parchments that's stuff that he can write on like Paul still, you know, that, this was Paul's principal way of ministering, was writing letters. And so Paul, Paul like basically wants to, down to the last second, wants to serve the Lord to the very end. You can see his like tenacity 
um, and his desire to serve in that statement. And then you can also see that Paul is able to kind of release his life to the Lord. You know, like I've had some, you know, this person has turned his back on me. This person's opposing our message. Um, but you know what? The Lord stood by me and he strengthened me. And in the end, he is going to bring me safely into his kingdom. He's able to you know, entrust his life to God. And he's able to say, and you know what? In the end, all the, with all the good and the bad, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I'm going to heaven. And, that's, and, that's, and I will ultimately be rescued and everything is going to be fine there. You know, I'm going to be delivered. So an amazing book, just an amazing book that we all read together today. Awesome. Here, let me pray for us. What's that? Oh, I thought we finished. Oh, yeah, we should probably need to. Yeah, let's just, I'll, I'll pray for us. No, we should finish. Golly. All right. Yeah, here, three, three verses. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Aristus remained at Corinth and left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. All right. Um, dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you for the gospel that you have rescued us by your grace. And uh, I pray that you would strengthen us in our relationship with you and our union with Christ and that um, help us to be people who trust in your word, who live under the authority of your word and who study it and um, help us to honor and serve you, God. And uh, may we walk in the freedom and the comfort knowing that you love and accept us perfectly through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.